Amen, man. It's great to have you guys here. We are uh, starting a new sermon series today. Series is called uh, Gospel Deep, His Glory Elevated. His Glory Elevated. We're still in Romans. We're walking through the book of Romans. And in fact, now we're up to uh, Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. Yep, we're going to go through Romans 9, 10, and 11. All right. We got through Romans 8 and and just a ton of celebration on what God's got there. And we're now stepping into those next pieces to make much of his glory. Romans 9, 10, and 11. All right. So let's just get a little bit of a summary of where we were. Uh, First of all, Romans 1, 2, and 3. His glory trampled. Right. We made much of ourselves. Right? That's what Romans 1, 2, and 3 talks about. We go after sin. We go after self. We go after me. And, and as we do that, as we continue to make much of me and not much of my God, and I stay distant from him, well, we're trampling his glory. And uh, we're in need of salvation. And there's nothing we can do. And all of us in that same boat, every single one of us, every single one of us in that boat. Uh, how many of us are in that boat? Every single one, all of us are in that boat, right? We all are in need of a Savior, Romans 1, 2, and 3. God's glory restored, Romans 4 and 5. Jesus Christ, his payment on the cross, his work for us, as he now is restoring people to himself, his glory restored through his work on the cross. Through the one man Adam came death and sin, but through the one man Christ comes salvation. Praise be to God. Amen? That's a big deal. Romans 4 and 5, Christ restoring the glory. We have one hope, Jesus Christ. And uh, Romans 6 and 7, his glory unleashed. His glory unleashed. As we now trust in Christ as Savior, if we put our faith and trust in him, we make much of him. Then him taking up residence within him, working within. In fact, it says we are promised victory over sin in time as we work with him, as he transforms us from one degree of glory to the next. And we literally see his power unleashed in us as we now can say these words, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. We literally can have victory over sin as we work with our God. And uh, that's part of salvation. Yes, eternity, but yes, right here and right now as we wrestle through life and we work with our Savior, he does much in our world. Romans 6 and 7. Romans 8, his glory experienced. The Holy Spirit coming in, him adopting us as sons, and we have this passionate purpose now. We are now children of his. It says the Holy Spirit groaning for you on your behalf as you wrestle through the things of life, as we go through suffering. Please, anybody that tells you the Christian walk shouldn't be about suffering isn't reading the Bible. I don't know where they're reading, man. They're just saying what they want to say. Romans 8 just lays it out. And the Spirit there for us and groaning on our behalf. And then closes out Romans 8 with this statement. There is nothing that can separate me from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing can separate us. And he goes through a power statement of a litany of things and ends with nothing in all of creation. Bang! Exclamation point. That's an awesome eight chapters, isn't it? And uh, some great power in that. A high of all highs closing out in Romans 8. And Paul now starts out in Romans 9. And um, so as we start moving into this, I just want to make clear here a couple of things. Uh, We're going to be talking about a couple of words 
God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Both of them very true biblically. God's sovereignty, Romans 9, all over it. And man's responsibility, Romans 10, all over that. And please, let's make sure we understand all that's being said in both of those chapters. We don't just look at one and take a little bit and try to form our life theology on that. We try to look at the whole of it, right? Romans 9 and 10. Uh, God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. So be patient as we work through this. It's going to be a series as we walk through here in May and June. And then we'll go to a a summer series where we're kind of doing some one-offs. But uh, we're going to be walking through Romans 9, 10, and 11. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. Today we're starting in Romans chapter 9, verse 1. We're starting with God's sovereignty. And I'm going to be asking the ushers to come forward. they got Bibles in their hands. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll get one to you, all right? Just raise your hand. They'll get one to you. We are going to walk verse by verse through this. Uh, first 13 verses and uh, just raise your hand be patient they'll get with you there God's sovereignty today uh, the sermon title is uh, purposeful election purposeful election God does have a plan in what he's doing God is thoroughly invested in what's going on and how does this work what do we need to know and uh, all right here we go uh, first challenge I'm going to give you is this as we start to walk through this you're going to say a couple of times at least that's not really where I stand. That's not the God I believe in. And uh, that's not the way I see it. And uh, so here's my one request. Answer this question. Where did I get that from? Why do I believe that that's the right idea? Uh, is it like, well, I use my logic and my logic is impeccable. Right? Is it that? Like, I'm just trusting in me, man, I think. And so it is. And is that where you're at? Uh, or maybe it's like, well, this is what I was taught in my family or the church I went to. These are some of the traditions. And, and whatever your answer about where you got it from, let's just turn it to this now. We will believe what God's word says. Period. We will take what his word says. We will follow through as it says and say his word is lifted up as number one. Nothing over his word. And all of God's people said, that's where we're headed. Look, it's one of our pillars here. We proclaim the authority of God's word without apology. That's why every week when we stand up, we open up the word, not some magazine article, not the latest whimsical thought I may have. It's what does God's word say? Let's walk through it. All right. So that's what we're going to be going through today here. And uh, we're going to start with Romans nine, verse one, God's sovereignty, purposeful election. What in the world should we know and understand? Here we go. First point. Uh, problem. Jewish people also need to believe in Jesus to be saved. Uh, yes, that's true. All of us need to trust in Christ for Savior. There is one hope of salvation, that's Jesus Christ. Jewish people also need to believe in Jesus to be saved. Our hearts should break for those that have so much and yet so little. And uh, first five verses here, Paul just unveils his um, view towards this end. So let's jump in. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Are you hearing it? Three times over. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. And my conscience is bearing witness. Like he's trying to say three times over. Hear me on this. Please hear my heart in this. All right. Well, what's so important, Paul? Next phrase, big deal. He says, 
that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. My heart is breaking. We've just gone from the highest of highs in Romans chapter 8. Nothing can separate us. Paul's now lowest of lows. Devastated. Why, Paul? Verse 3. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. My heart breaks for those called Israelites who aren't trusting in Jesus Christ. I am making much of my my God. His name is Jesus Christ. I long for him to be worshipped. And those who I know and love who have so much and so close to him and yet so won't believe in him. And my heart breaks for them. Paul's being very real, man. This is his passion. This is his emotion. And it's, it's a big deal. Why? Why is this a big deal that Paul's heart is breaking? Because he's about ready to say some very hard words. He's like, do you want to understand why some are and some aren't? Do you want to understand what God's doing in the midst of this? I'm telling you, God's purposeful in his election and he's going to start talking it through. And he's like, you need to hear me. I have an emotional position about this that is broken heart. And check this out. He says, for I could wish that I were accursed and cut off. I could wish. Notice he doesn't say I wish or I ask God for. He, he, like I could wish. Why? Because Romans 8 is clear. Nothing can separate you. Paul is saved and he recognizes fully that's not going to be lost. I could wish the structure he's putting there. I'm telling you, if I could ask it, I would, but I'm saved and I'm trusting in him and I'm eternally secure. My God has me in hand. There's something I could give up. I would love to. I want them saved. That's what he's saying. For I could wish myself accursed and cut off for them. My brothers. And then it says my kinsmen according to the flesh. That's a big deal. That's needed, right? Because when Paul says brothers, most of the time he means those who believe, right? And he's like brothers and sisters, you know, in Christ. And he's using this metaphor of family. And here he's talking about real brothers, like real kinsmen, DNA shared, man. This is ethnic line, national Israel. We are sharing one in the same. And I'm longing for the nation of Israel and for them to get who Christ is. That's what Paul's saying. And uh, then he goes into an awesome list here of things they have. And just so you know, this is two lists of six. There's six things. He lists it twice. And uh, it actually is built around the words um, that to them belong. To them belong. And then two lists of six. It's not really coming across well in the English. But in the original language, these are what they would call feminine words. They end with a vowel sound like an ah or an yah kind of sound. So it's very poetic, word after word after word with this very soft feminine sound to it. He's making a strong poetic statement of all they have in and through God minus Jesus Christ. And he's like, they have, to them belong, he says, they are Israelites. I I love that statement. They're Israelites. Like, this name is awesome. You know, this is like when you pick your favorite team. And you're like, they're so awesome. All I have to do is say the name and people shudder, right? Like the Chicago Bears and all right, that's a bad example, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, they're not doing really well right now, but like the Israelites, man, when that name was brought up, there was shuddering. God worked with them. 
And, and people knew you don't stand against them. And there's struggle going on in the midst. But God has it in hand. The Israelites, a nation God worked with, don't mess with them. And uh, they were Israelites. And he goes into some answers here. To them belong the adoption. Uh, they were the first to be called children of God. Exodus 4, 22. They had the privilege of being called children and being worked with. The adoption. And uh, the glory This is God working through them and making clear of himself, him showing himself to them, the glory of God Almighty. In fact, here's a bigger word, his manifest presence. What does that mean? It means you could see God at work, the glory of God in the midst of them. They could see the cloud by day and the fire by night. God's glory in the tabernacle and in the temple, the glory of God at work in the nations, and they had that privilege. And uh, everybody say, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Adoption, glory, the covenants. Uh, This is God working with them. God calling them out. In fact, kind of making a deal very one-sided where God does and they just have to exist. Right? An Abrahamic covenant, for example. Where he's like, just so you know, I will make much of your nation. There will be a nation below you. This to a guy who's like kidless, right? I'm going to make much of your nation. and, And there will be like the sands of the sea. And... The nations will be blessed through you. Abrahamic covenant. They have the covenants. The Davidic covenant. You know, David on the throne is like, just so you know, your throne, David, will last for eternity. And one of your kinsmen below you will serve for all eternity on that throne. By the way, that person is Jesus Christ, right? The Davidic covenant. And um, the giving of the law. This is the result of the Mosaic covenant, right? There's the plan with Moses. God's talking to him up on Mount Sinai. He ends up giving him the Ten Commandments and some more laws come after that. They have the giving of the law. They are given the understanding of how that it can be to work with God and see God's character and his holiness expressed out. And the law helping make that clear. God guiding them. They have the giving of the law. Uh, It says, and the worship, literally the temple service. This chance to be able to go and worship God at the temple, to be able to bring together uh, a worship time and a celebration of him and a sacrifice for sin. They got to see sin covered through blood shed. They got to see that in worship and uh, how clear that could be to make for them the point that they need a savior. And the promises, this ties back well to the covenants, right? The promises that get made and all that that comes through the covenants. But you know, sometimes God just made promises outright. Like the Messiah will come through your lineage. Promises that they have of God working with them. He starts the next reign of six here, but he says, to them belong. Now the patriarchs, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are uh, the fathers of Israel, the first parents of Israel, if you will. And, and they were able to talk with God and communicate with God and be led by him even before the law was given. And uh, we say, that's a big deal. It's a big deal, right? The patriarchs. And, and then he says, and from that now, according to the flesh is the Christ, Jesus Christ, through the lineage of Israel, through the nationality and ethnicity of the Israelites. They have Jesus Christ, King of the universe, through them. They have so much. And yet they won't trust in Christ. And so they have so little. That's what he's saying. All that you have 
and you're missing the most important piece, Christ himself. Notice what it says here. Who is this Christ? It says they have the Christ. Who is, what's it say? God. Who is God? Man, don't let anybody ever tell you that scripture doesn't say Jesus is God. Right here, baby. Jesus is God. Christ, who is God? And then he goes on to give it a nice close. When you're speaking of Christ and God, why not close it with a benediction, right? Uh, Blessed overall forever. Amen. Right? Paul's like, I celebrate this. We have an awesomeness of Jesus Christ and he is so worth knowing and my heart breaks for those who don't know him yet and what a privilege it is that he pulls us out and saves us and praise be to God. Blessed forever. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Verses 1 through 5 stating a problem. Simple question. And how come they're not all saved? Have you ever wondered that? What's going on with the salvation thing? And how come somebody isn't coming to Christ I so want them to? And what's God doing with? And where is this at? And what's the answer for? And Paul's got an answer. And he's going to get to it in just a second. Um, You know, my wife and I were talking this week about an illustration. And so we came up with this. Uh, It's going to use a typical one that you may have heard. Uh, It's about people who go and win the lottery. And then life goes well for a little while. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so this is Rob and Laura, true story. They won $3 million in a lottery. And a $3 million bucks. You're like, big deal. Lotteries are like $150 million nowadays. So this is a ways back, right? They won $3 million. They ended up buying like a million-dollar house. They bought a Porsche. They went on some trips and vacations. Life was going pretty well. They made much of the physical stuff in this world and had a blast doing it as they took this money and spent it on things and had stuff and lived life. And But the curtain closes on this story with Rob getting into his Porsche and driving away from Lara forever because Lara had found some emails that proved that he was having an affair and Rob didn't care. And he wasn't about to take what he had and be happy with that and be faithful to God in the midst of it. He wanted more for himself. And and isn't it pathetic when we make much of this temporal world and nothing of the eternal, right? Missing the whole point. And uh, as much as they had things given to them, they had much, yet they had little. And uh, may we not be in that spot. And uh, that's all Paul's saying as he lists these things out for the Israelites. Man, you can have much in this world, but to not have Jesus Christ, to not have eternity, you have nothing. Make sure you have Jesus Christ. And uh, my simple question to you today is this. Are you trusting in Christ as your Savior? Are you hearing the call and responding? Jesus Christ. He's everything, man. Believing in him. Let me ask you this. Maybe you are saved. Is your focus on the temporal? This world? Money to be had? Titles to be gained? Riches to own? Or or is it on Jesus Christ and him made much of? May we make much of our Savior both now and for all of eternity. That's what it's all about. We live for his glory that Christ might reign and rule and we might worship. That's what it's all about, all right? So the first step in God's sovereignty is, man, it's okay that our hearts break for those who don't know him. 
and that we long for them to come to know him. Maybe you even know some right now where you long for them to know. It's okay that your heart breaks for that and longs for that. God's doing something. Trust him, okay? Second point in God's sovereignty and purposeful election. That was the problem. Now the promise. Promise. Lean on God's never-failing word and his promising hand. The promise. Lean on God's never-failing word and his promising hand. And just so you know, I, I changed this outline this morning. And uh, so it's in your bulletins correctly except for the verses. Just strike out verses 7, 8, 9. We're only going to cover 6 in this point. All right? We're only covering 6 right here. Lean on God's never-failing word and his promising hand. Check this out, verse 6. It says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. But, uh, don't you love that word? But, right, that's the, you know, you're like, hey, do I look good? And you're like, yeah, but, you're like, oh, here it comes, right? But it, it always means whatever I just said, there's, there's actually now an opposite to that thing. And Paul's like, I want you to understand in verses 1 through 5, yes, my emotional well-being is such that that my heart is breaking for these who don't know him to know him. I'm crushed that only some are coming and not all. I'm crushed there. But, you hearing it? The word of God does not fail. The word of God does not fail. That is a huge point. We must trust the promise of God's word. We must trust the truth of God's word. We must lift this up above all things, even our own current logic, and allow God's word to teach us. Lord, what do you have to say? He says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. I would never imply that I'm right and God's wrong. That's what he's saying. Trust in God's word. All right? And lean on his word. That's what he's saying. All right. Just so you know, this is the thesis statement. Verse 6 here. The thesis statement of Romans chapter 9. Do you know what I'm talking about with that? Thesis statement. Like, this is all that Romans 9 is about. Right here in verse 6. Land it. Underline it if you need to. Circle it. Put an arrow next to it. If you're totally against marking in your Bible, write it in your notes. Right? This is a big deal. Verse 6 is the main point of Romans chapter 9. It is not as though the word of God has failed. Let me now prove it to you. Verses 7 to 29. That's Romans chapter 9. All right? And we're going to see God's sovereignty unveil here. As he says, my problem is I see some not coming to know him as Savior. And I'm telling you this, but the word of God is not failing. 7 to 29, proof of all of that. All right? All right. I'm going to ask my wife to come on up here. And... uh she was diligently writing, so apparently the notes were good enough to take twice. She was in the 9 o'clock with me. All right. This is my wife, Jana, and uh, I just asked her to be a help for me here. Let me ask you a question. Leaning. Uh, am I leaning on her right now? Is this leaning? No, this is not leaning. How about this? When I kind of turn my back to her, is this leaning on her? No. No, this is actually called rejecting her. This is a bad thing to do to your wife, just so everybody knows. All right. All right. Leaning. Is this leaning on her? Did you notice how she set her feet? She's like, all right, here we go, man. Just so you know, she works out. We're good. All right. Leaning. Is this leaning on her? Yeah. Right? So leaning. The definition of leaning is I'm putting my whole weight on that. I'm depending on that. In fact, if it moves, I drop. Right? Leaning. My whole weight on 
If it moves, I drop. Leaning. That's the definition. Thanks, babe. Leaning. Are you leaning on the word of God? Like if the word of God were to move, everything in your life changes. And it's such a big deal that the word of God does not fail. It will not move. Are you leaning on the word of God? Or are you leaning on, well, my own logic? The world according to Tim. Uh, what other people say, I take consensus votes. And right now, here's where I'm at. And, or are you leaning on his word? Paul's like, you need to understand that the word of God is powerful and true. And it is right and nothing is wrong with it. And he's about ready to prove that to us. Simple question. Are you putting your trust in the word? Please make sure you get to the word with it. And especially now as we walk through the rest of Romans 9, I'm just telling you, you need to be able to lean on God's word. This is going to be the way to navigate these deep waters. All right? So here we go. Third point. Proofs. The proof that God's word can be trusted and it's never failing. Trust God's lead in election he has a purpose. Trust God's lead in election. He has a purpose. Verse 7, it starts out, for, are you hearing it? So he's setting up now, here comes a proof. Like, for, everybody just say, here comes a proof. Right? He's like, so it's not as though, as though the word of God fails for, proof number one, uh, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all who is Israel is Israel. Like, what? What is this man talking about? Right? And it's kind of like this statement. Uh, not all men are men. Right? And you're like, oh, how true that is. <laughs> right? Like, we're, we bend in on that when we get it. And what are we saying? Actually, logically, that shouldn't work. If I just look at the grammar, not all men are men. What are you talking about? You just said they are men. They must be men. What are we saying here? It's the power of actually loading the second word with more meaning. Right? And so not all men, yeah, they're, they got the DNA, they got the XY chromosome thing, but they're not men. They're not like, they're not standing up, man. They're not taking responsibility. They're not loving God with all they've got. They're not leading their families. They're not on their knees in prayer. They're not men. Right? Not all men are men. We're good with that. Okay? Not all Israel is Israel. Alright? And so, yeah, they've got the DNA thing going on, and they got that ethnic Israel thing happening, but they don't have the heart, man. And well, what does a heart look like for them in Romans 2, 28 and 29? It says, it's not about the uh, circumcision of the flesh, but it's circumcision of the heart that matters. It's about their heart towards God and are responding to him. And those that believe in him and trust in him and long for him to be made much of. Now that's Israel. You hearing what he's doing? He's making a distinction here of there's the ethnic, and then there's the believing, following God, truly getting who he is, beating to that drum. And that's our first proof, that we've always known that there's always some, and they've used the word remnant in the past. That was a big deal in the Old Testament, right? They know that not all Israel is Israel. And they're like, oh, that's a good point, Paul. And so I'm not seeing everyone saved, right? But we know that God works that way and we're not seeing all Israel that way either, right? Some of Israel is not believing and they're in rebellion against God and, and yet some are believing. And so some Israel is truly following him. That's the first proof. The second one, I'm just going to ask for the slide to go up here. Um, let's just make this clear here. All right. So this is a family tree. Have you ever done your family tree? 
Yeah, this is the same thing in the nine o'clock, like four people. Oh yeah, I have. Right? And everybody else is not even close. I know who my grandparents are. That's all I got, right? So here's a little bit of the family tree, the starting point of the nation of Israel. And uh, it starts out with Abraham, the father of the nations. Genesis 12, it gets clear there. And it's Abraham being called out in Genesis 12 to go where God wants him to go, to do what God wants him to do. He's following after God. That's Abraham. Abraham is the father of the nation of Israel. Okay? He ends up having a couple of kids, one being Isaac and one being Ishmael. This is how the story goes down. He's given the promise that he will have a kid. But more than that, through that child will be a massive population of the earth with his uh, nation being huge. And he's like, great. And then time goes by and time goes by and nothing's happening. And he's like, you know what? I think God needs a little help. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my concubine that's like a slave or a servant girl. I'm going to take my servant girl and I'm going to sleep with her. Okay? Wife's approval, I'm having an affair. Through the affair, I'm now going to have a kid. This should make it all good, right? Everybody say, this is not a good plan. All right, so Abraham going off on his own. He's going to sin. He's doing his own gigs like God promised. Apparently, he needs a little help. Here we go. So he sleeps with Hagar, ends up having a child. That child is Ishmael, all right? Ishmael, the product of an affair. And uh, God's like, yeah, that's not really what I meant. All right. I still have a promise to you and it's coming through Sarah. And so he comes in and makes clear that he's going to work with Sarah. Sarah hears this story and she's like, I'm 90 years old. That's hilarious. And she starts cracking up laughing. And so when she a year later does have him, she names him Yitzhak, which means laughter. She named him after her response when she heard the promise the first time. I laughed, and now I have him. That's my God. Isaac, son of the promise, through Sarah. And then from Isaac, Isaac has a couple of kids, Jacob and Esau. We'll cover that in a little bit. Through Jacob, he ends up having 12 sons. Those are the 12 tribes of Israel, all right? This is the family tree of Israel. All those blocks in there are Israel, Ishmael, and Esau. They weren't a part of Israel. In fact, they ended up being a part of the Arab nation. Ishmael is the father of the Arabs. And uh, in fact, Esau married into the Ishmael line at one point there. And so there's a connection between those two. And the Arab line goes forward from them, the Jewish line or Israeli line through the others. And uh, now look at today where we are with the Arabs and the Jews. And uh, all back to this. Okay. So now that you got this set up, we'll go ahead and keep that up there for a little bit. But let's read through this. All right. It says, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Here we go. And second proof, not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. Not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. What? Okay, look at the picture. Right? And children of Abraham is that specific word that means Israel. Not all are Israel, right? If there is offspring, who isn't? Ishmael isn't, right? He's not a part of, their, of, of Israel. He's not a child of Abraham in that regard. And so there is some element of God working with, God electing, God choosing, if you will, who he's going to work with. He gives a promise to work through Isaac. Ishmael is who he's not working through. That's Paul's first point. Of clarity here into it is you need to understand God does work with some. And, and then there are others where he allows them to run their direction, where their heart takes them in sin and rebel and apart, okay? 
And so you've got Ishmael and Esau running off, and you've got God working through this promised crew. And uh, so the first one is not all Israel is Israel. The second one is not uh, everybody born to Abraham is a child of Abraham. In fact, they go a little further here. It says now, uh, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Cool, we got that right on the chart, right? So through Isaac, so we get that through the promise. It says, uh, this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. You getting that? It's not the children of the flesh. You're not born into it. Everybody get that? Hopefully, that's why we're here. We're not born into it. We actually have a faith expressed that's saved. There is a children of the promise thing going on. God working through his promise, people being saved as they trust in Christ. It is not a flesh thing. It is a believing in him thing that is being pointed out here. That's what's happening with those who are children of the promise. They respond in belief. Huge deal. All right. We say that's a big deal. Man, we better get the square. He's two proofs in and he's showing you that God is working with some and choosing them out with a purpose, all right? And uh, he goes a little further here. He says, uh, this means that it is not the children of the flesh, but it is the children of the promise. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Quoted from Genesis to a 90-year-old woman. A year later, she's running around with a little one. Can you imagine that? 90 years old, and you're a mother, right? And a part of you is like, this is awesome. I name him laughter. Somebody bring me a chair. I need to sit down, right? And uh, there's this huge blessing going on in the midst, and, and obviously some strain on it as well, but God making clear his hand is on this thing. And, uh, you know, she's naming him laughter. She's tired, and Abraham's 100 years old, man. This is a big deal. These guys have age on them, and the reality is, God's hand clearly showing the promise working. And uh, wow, what a huge deal that we see this promise come through in the moment. Um, So the first is not all Israel is Israel. The second is not all born of Abraham are Israel, right? We got Ishmael. Now comes the third. Get ready. We need to do a little thinking here and let's let God's word work. All right, it's a big deal. Here we go. It says, and, so now the third proof, not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac. When Rebekah had conceived children, so now Rebekah, she's married to Isaac, okay? And they end up having kids. They have Jacob and Esau, twins, okay? They have them at the same time, right? These kids are conceived at the same time. Uh, Isaac and Rebekah are married, all right? And notice he says here, uh, by one man. Why is that important? By one man. Well, here's why it's important. Because, honestly, isn't the Abraham-Ishmael thing a little obvious? Like, it's sin. It was an affair. Of course God isn't going to work through that. So he worked this way. It looks like he's working with those who aren't sinning. That's, so the choice of Isaac is about tracking that way. And so let me give you a proof then. That has nothing to do with actions or behavior. Rebecca and Isaac married. It was a great marriage. They had their things to work on, just like you and me, right? But the marriage was God-blessed. And they had two kids at the same time conceived by one man, Jacob and Esau. And here's what he says. 
through, though they were not born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. Bam. There is an electing going on of the younger being served by the older. Just so you know, in their time frame, firstborn always was served, right? First things went to him, and now firstborn is going to serve the younger. And why would that be? And what's God doing here? And he's showing his purpose of election, it says. What is that purpose? And uh, we're going to cover more of that next week, but I'm just telling you this. Every time God's doing something, it's to let us see how huge he is and how awesome he is. And, uh, and then there's a lot of this purpose that's still going to be a bit masked. We're going to see his glory come out and we're going to be wrestling with it a little. We'll see what we can see in this next passage. All right. But the purpose of God's election partially revealed and a lot not. And, uh, let's just cover this real quickly. It says before they were born, before they were born, they had done neither good or bad. In fact, then he jumps ahead, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Not because of works did he choose to work with Jacob. It's not like he looked forward into time and went, Jacob's been going to be this good guy. Or, or that he looked at him right then and there and said, he's been a good guy so far, so I'm taking it. He said, I'm going to work with Jacob. Esau, I'm going to let tail off into his thing. He's going to make it much about himself, and I'm just going to let it go that way. And um, that's God's purpose of election in the midst of that. And um, listen, it says, not because of works, but because of. See, a lot of people would like to say, well, God chooses based on looking down the quarters of time and seeing faith. But this doesn't say not because of works, but because of faith. It doesn't say that. It says, there's other verses that talk about faith and, and our man's responsibility. We've got huge responsibility that comes in and we'll talk about how that balances in due time. But this says, not because of works, but because of him who calls God doing it. That's what it says. I just got to let that sit. That's what it says. All right. God's purpose of election. It says she was told the older will serve the younger. Now here comes the verse. As it is written, Jacob, I have loved Esau. I have hated Jacob. I have loved Esau. I have hated. All right. Let's break that verse down because we can get some really bad theology off that verse if we're not careful. All right, so here we go. First thing we need to understand, this verse, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated, it's a quote from the Old Testament. It comes from Malachi chapter one, all right? It's a prophet, Malachi. It's way after Esau has lived life. Everybody get that? Esau lived way later comes this statement, Jacob I have loved, Esau have I hated, past tense done and over, all right? So it is referring back to an Old Testament time. It's God making statement about how he has worked with Esau in Esau's life already done and over, all right? Big deal statement there. Uh, you'll get why if you continue to work through this and, and wrestle with the, the pieces of it. But uh, Esau, have I hated? Man, we hear this and we're like, what? Jacob, I have loved. Like, I get that, right? Our American culture, we're like, God is love. Jacob, I have loved. Of course he would love. God is love. That's what he does. So Jacob, he loved. I get that. But Esau, I have hated. What? How does a God who is love hate? And uh, so let's put a couple of these things together. Um, First of all, I want to make it clear. These words come from an Old Testament word. 
And so English words are put to them the best that we can try to figure out, all right? Here's maybe a better way of understanding those words. Jacob I have loved. Jacob I have assisted or worked with, right? God's blessing and hand on. Jacob I have assisted. Esau I have resisted. Okay, let that set for a moment. Assisted and resisted. Okay, as Esau lives a sinful life, as he goes his way, God stands against those sinful choices. He's resisting that in the moment. It's a big deal. And uh, I will just say this. It says, uh, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. So let's make sure we keep those words carefully understood. Uh, We think of them today in modern English, and it's all about feelings, right? Love and hate. Like if you hate something, you have this weird, visceral understanding inside of, and you just want to hurt and you're like, like hate. And, and love is like, oh, this warm, fuzzy. And that's not what we're talking about here. This is a description of God's actions as he worked with them. In fact, look at Malachi 1 when it talks about him hating him. It says after it how he did not uh, give their uh, nation land, that those were not held out for them. It's how he worked with the nation. All right, that's what's being described here. Everybody say that's a big deal. That's a big deal. That was a week. Everybody say that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Let's lock in here. That's a big deal. All right. And uh, this is not talking about uh, even their salvation per se. This is about them being worked with as nations at that point. Jacob and Esau. Okay. That's a big deal. And uh, now let me just say this about love and hate. Are you ready? This is a big one. If you're writing, you want to write this down. True love truly hates. True love truly hates. You're like, oh, come on. You're going to have to have chapter and verse on that one. All right, Romans 12, 9. Romans 12, 9. It says, uh, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil. Hate what is evil. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil. I'm just telling you this, that I love my wife, Jana. And as I love her, I'm telling you, that which threatens to be for her good, I stand against I am not good with my love brings out my stand for her and my stand against that which will hurt and harm her. That's love, man. This little soft love that we describe that has absolutely no desire for anything to be labeled wrong is a joke. That is not love. You want to understand Christ's love? You will not understand the cross till you get this. He stands against That which is against worshiping his God. That which is against all that God is about in his holiness and his righteousness. Wickedness, evil, selfishness, sin. It is wrong. And he stands against. And that is love. To stand against that which is destroying the most important things. To truly love, you truly will have a segment of things you stand against. All right? And uh, now he says, Jacob, I have loved, Esau, I have hated. Let's be very clear now. Here's where we all stand. You ready? Every one of us, Romans 1 through 3, stands against God. We're like, it's all about me, man. And uh, I'm going to make much of me. In fact, Romans 3 says, uh, there is none righteous, not one, and none that seeks after God. Uh, Hostile towards God is another description. Our minds veiled and blinded and can't respond to the things of God. We stand against him, we shake our fist at him, and we make much of self. That's where all of us stand. Even after Christ on the cross, that's where all of us stand. In rebellion against him and not responding to him. And that's where we are. 
it says, God then chooses to work with some where he pulls them out and he works with them. Jacob I've loved. Esau I've stood against. He is allowing Esau to trail off on his own self. He's giving him over, if you want to use the Romans one terms, to working his own sin out. And we all know the story of Esau in the end, right? He goes after his own self. He sells his own birthright. He's happy to get a little bowl of soup instead. And he's a punk, man. And he unwinds into that and God allows that to unwind. And uh, the problem is we all stand in the spot where we deserve to be allowed to unwind. But our God reaches in and pulls out. Purposeful election. And uh, some look at this and they're like, just so you know, I, I, I don't see that. What I see is God's working with nations and he's allowing nations to do things. And I hear you, that is his examples, right? He's got big nation statements here and all these proofs. But check this, what did we get here from? What's our problem statement? Verses one through five. Why are some not saved? It's about salvation to the core. But the word of God is not failing. God's working with us. God's working in this community. God is working in this world. And he is calling people out to make much of himself. And here's the key. It says, not because of their works. Do not make much of self, right? I trust in Christ as Savior. He must have said, I'm good with you because you're so good with me. And man, you're missing it. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. Can you see now why Paul started with the statement of trust me, believe in me, hear me, my heart is in angst. Let me now share with you the weighty side of God's election and his sovereignty. Dude, let these verses set. I'm telling you, I've been working on them for a year since last year, March. And uh, just wrestle with it. Let God speak to you on it. Please read the word and see what it has to say. I don't know if we can open it up more clearly than what we just did. It is just so basic in the statements there. And a flat out statement. Well, we don't like that. Okay. So let's not separate ourselves away from God's sovereignty because we don't like it. Let's lean in hard and see what God has to teach us as we follow what his word says. All right. So here's the deal. We'll just do it top to bottom real fast. Romans 9, 1 through 5. Paul's like, hear me. My heart breaks for so many who are so close to him and yet not getting it. But just in the midst of that, it's not the word of God failing thesis statement proof. Not all of Israel becomes Israel. Not all of Abraham's children are his children in Israel. And we have Jacob being chosen over Esau. God has purpose in his election. And I guarantee you this, when we don't understand this, it's because our purpose is different than his purpose. And we don't want that purpose. We want ours. Here's my request. Gently, carefully, let's walk through Romans 9 and see what God has to teach us. With this in mind, Romans 9 is all about God's sovereignty. Romans 10 is going to be all about man's responsibility. And the two come together in this giant mystery of God as it works itself out. We will be piecing this together as we go. Watch what God has to say. He is Lord of all. We should be stunned 
with his glory and amazed that he would choose even me when I stood rebel against him as well. God, I worship you with all I've got. Praise be to God. And all of God's people said, Romans 9, 1 through 13, let's pray.